let's uh, let's pay attention now Howdy. to the reading of God's word. Texas A&M, RUF John 13 verses 1 through 16. Now before the, pe the the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to be to to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured a water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also are to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Would you bow your heads with me? Well, Father God, we thank you uh, for your word, where we trust that through the preaching of your word, you promise us that it does not return void. I pray for all of us and all of our hearts this evening, that by your Holy Spirit, you would speak your truth. And Lord, that we would not leave tonight unchanged. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and through, for your word. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Check, check. There we go. How's everybody doing tonight? Good. So uh, Austin's taking his exams. And uh, I don't miss those one bit. Been there, done that. Glad to be on the other side of it. Uh, just a couple really cool connections between me and Austin. So Austin and I actually interned at the same church in North Carolina. Um, kind of a small world. Alex's dad was on the commission that examined me for pastoral ministry. So there's some really, really cool connections uh, with the McCann family. Uh, I'm going to be that guy. And I'm going to ask you all to move forward a little bit. I promise I don't bite. Can everybody just move up two rows? That would make me feel so, so much better. Thank you all so much. You all don't have to like come to the front row. 
but like just a little bit closer. Awesome. Yeah, so as, as Austin said, I'm the pastor of Youth and Families at Westminster. I've been doing youth ministry in and out for the past 11 years, and I love it. Um, yeah, come on, come on down, y'all. And it's an honor to be here. Uh, I, I went to a, a college that didn't have REF until after I had graduated. So I, I love to come and pour into REF and really get to plug in. So this is a great treat for me. Uh, selfish plug, I'm looking for female small group leaders. So if you're interested in pouring into some high school girls, please come talk to me afterwards. Uh, I would love to put you to work. Um, but as we get into this text tonight, we're, we're at a really important part of the Gospel of John. This is actually a big transition point in the Gospel of John. Chapters 1 to 12 have been what we call the Book of Signs. It's this uh, a conglomeration of these miracles that Jesus performs. And all these miracles point to the fact that he is God. That Jesus is God. And once we get to 13 through 17, we actually get into the upper room discourse. And this is a very intimate time between Jesus and his disciples. Uh, one, one writer, John Stott, says, If scripture is like the temple, then John 13 to 17 is the inner sanctuary of that temple. This is a very important time for the disciples, a very important time for Jesus as he teaches them. He starts off with this symbolic act, which we're going to uh, dive into tonight. And it works uh, into this lengthy discourse, and it ends with a prayer. And here we are just hours away from his betrayal, hours away from his trial, his crucifixion, and his death. And he wants to leave his disciples with something lasting and important. He wants to teach them something that they can hold on to. And uh, he wants to make a point for them. And I was reading this, this story this week from James Montgomery Boyce. He has this story in his commentary on this passage about this farmer. And this farmer was stuck in the middle of the road with his donkey, and he couldn't get this donkey to move. The donkey had planted its feet firmly on the ground, and it wouldn't move, so the man stood there shouting and kicking this donkey, trying to get it to, to move out of the way, while this other farmer came up and realized that this guy probably needed a little bit of help. So he approaches him and says, sir, can I help you? And he said, yeah, I sure could use it, uh, but it won't do any good. I've been shouting at this stupid donkey for half an hour, and he just won't budge. So this other farmer said, I can fix that. So he goes and he grabs a club, off the, or a stick off the side of the road, and he goes up and he smacks the donkey right between the eyes. Just, and it says, gee-haw. And the donkey gets up and moves. And the guy's like, what? What's the secret sauce? Like, what, what, what was I doing wrong? Like, I've been yelling at this donkey, but trying to get it out of the way. You just go and you speak in a much calmer tone of voice, and it just moves. And he says, yes, that's true, but I had to get its attention first have to get its attention first before it recognizes that, that, that I'm trying to tell that donkey something. Jesus is trying to get our attention because he's telling us something so important tonight. So important. He's doing something to get us to focus on this one thing. He's going to wash the disciples' feet. But in doing that, he's actually telling them something even more. So actions, we, we often hear that actions speak louder than words. And here, this particular act, even though he's going to explain what he's about to do, this particular act is monumental for the disciples. And it's monumental for us as we consider it. This first action speaks volumes before he even opens his mouth. So he's going to wash the disciples' feet. So if you're taking notes, uh, here's kind of our main point for this evening. Jesus' relationship to his disciples is that of humility and love. 
Jesus' relationship to his disciples is that of humility and love. So I want to first look at Jesus' humility in this passage. Uh, as, we, as we see the room here, they're in the, the upper room. And uh, John begins by drawing our attention to this clear contrast between Jesus and Judas. And if you know anything about the Bible, Judas would be the one that would betray Jesus. And uh, here we see that Judas, he's motivated by greed and moved by Satan, while Jesus is motivated and moved by the Father himself. Judas desired wealth. Jesus desired to lay his life down for his people. So we see this humility starting in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, notice first that Jesus has authority. The Father had given all things into his hands. Notice second that he was divine. He had come from God. And third, that he would be glorified. He was going back to the Father. Now think about the importance of that. Someone with authority is going to stoop so low as to wash someone's feet. Nobody in a position of authority, nobody in a position of power would do such a thing. What highly exalted and worshipped God would condescend to do something so disgusting as wash someone's feet? And Jesus, knowing that his time was drawing near, he was actually seeing things, everything through the lens of his Father's will. He's trying to uh, enact God's will because he knows that this is the plan for the world. This is the plan of salvation for the world. And it's not by accident. He didn't simply forget that he was God. He didn't forget about his divinity. He didn't forget about his authority and power. He was fully conscious of those things. But he's trying to do what the Father's called him to do. He wants to send his disciples out with this great act of humility and cleaning. He was very aware of this betrayal that was going to come. He knows that somebody in the room is about to betray him. If you go right past this passage into verse 21, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And in this scene, Simon Peter actually motions to John because John is... Uh, the way that they would recline at their tables is that they would almost sit back to back and they would lean up against the table and eat with one hand. So John is sitting with his back to Jesus and Simon Peter's like, lean in and ask him who it's going to be. So John leans back and asks him. And Jesus says in verse 26, it is, it is he who I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. And then later on, it is, to, it is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered him, and Jesus said, What you are going to do, do it quickly. It's very likely that Jesus was uh, speaking in a much lower voice at this point because no one at the table understood what was going on. Only John heard this. So Jesus knows he's going to betray him. Nobody else in the room does. Okay? Now I want you to imagine this. this. This might be a fun exercise. I want you to imagine that one of you in this room is going to go around and slash the tires of every other person's car. Sometime this week. I know who it is. I'm not going to tell you who it is. If you don't have a car, they're going to steal your bike. If you don't have a bike, they're going to steal something from you. I'm not going to tell you what they're going to steal from, from you, but they're going to steal something. Okay? Now, all of you are kind of like looking around like, who is this? Okay? That's, that's uncomfortable. It feels violating, right? That's, that's the tension that's in this room. Jesus knows that there's a betrayer in the room, and he actually knows who it is but he's still going to wash his feet. That's such a beautiful thing. Okay, we have Jesus knowing exactly who would do this awful thing, and he humbly sits with him, eats with him, and is going to wash his feet. Uh, I wish I could have brought this book with me, but I couldn't find it. 
Uh, it's a really, really interesting read. It's actually written by a good friend of mine named John Perry, who I think was Alex's youth pastor. Um, it's called What Would Judas Do? And it's kind of this uh, um, devotional book. It's, it's got a really crazy title, right? Like, What Would Judas Do? That sounds so heretical. Uh, but the book actually is this uh, character study of Judas and looking at his character and looking at what godly character is. And this is fascinating read. I, I commend it to you. But he knows that Jesus is there, and, he, and he st- Judas is there, and he still washes his feet. Now, this was such a gross process. Like, we, we think about washing feet, and, like, we look at our feet. Our feet really aren't that dirty. Maybe you don't like feet, but feet generally now are not dirty. Not, not as dirty as they would have been. They would walk around in their sandals. They would be stepping on feces, dirt, mud. Their feet were gross. It was disgusting. It was, it was so nasty. And this was a slave's task. No person in authority would stoop so low as to do this very task. And the way that this would work out is you would sit, you would uh, recline at a table, your sandals would be taken off, they would be left at the door, similar to the way that it's done in Middle Eastern countries to this day. But notice that no one had done it to this point. No one was washing feet. So Jesus rises and takes off his outer garments, he wraps a towel around his waist, and he gets to work, and he gets a bowl of water and begins to wash the disciples' feet. And again, this is not just some random act. Oftentimes in literature and and TV shows, we often get this filler material, stuff that just goes in between the main parts of the story. This is not filler material right here. This is actually part of the main act. This is something amazing. This act of washing the disciples' feet, it's almost a, a parable at this point because he's trying to teach them something amazing about himself. It's so connected to what has come, what is to come, It's this symbolic act of what Jesus is about to do. And here we see the servant-like heart of Christ. On the way to his own torment on the cross, he stops to serve. He stops to love his disciples. The needs of his disciples are on his mind. It's this simple, humble act of washing dirty feet. These men are tired in their work. They have been following Jesus and listening to his teaching and watching him perform all these miracles, and they're exhausted, and he stops to do something for them, to take care of them. He's equipping them for the work that he's about to send them to do, and he does so out of such amazing humility. Uh, There's this uh, story uh, that Alistair Begg, who's a pastor, he shares, and I forget which book this is from, but uh, I got this from whatever book it was. Uh, But he tells the story about this young man who came to preach at Alexander White's congregation in Scotland. Uh, Alexander White's pulpit was this uh, prominent pulpit in Scotland. Like, it it was the dream pulpit to preach from. Like, if you got to preach there, like, you knew you had made it. You'd arrived. It's like like the REF music stand. Like, now that I've gotten here to preach, I feel like I've arrived. This this is great. But this young man was invited to preach there, and he was so excited, and he started telling all of his friends, like, I get to go and preach here, and I'm so excited for this message. In fact, I've got the the greatest message that they they can hear. In fact, it's one that they need to hear. Anytime a preacher starts saying stuff like that, that's probably not a good sign. Like, this congregation needs to hear this. That's not good preaching. Uh, But that was his attitude. So he goes in so cocky and so uh, uh, bold. Okay? The door opens, he walks up, and he, he's holding his head high, and he's walking up into this big pulpit. He's so just arrogant and brash. And he starts the sermon. He's been practicing it over and over in his bathroom. He's delivering the goods. And, it t- and, and as, as he's opening his first paragraph, okay, he honed over it over and over, time and time again. 
the saliva in his mouth started to dry up. And he started to stumble over his words. And in fact, he stumbled to a very bad conclusion. It was just a bad sermon. Like, he, he did awful. Okay? And as he was walking down from that pulpit, this, this elevated pulpit, he walked, as, as he walked up with such arrogance, he walked down with his head held low, his chin to his chest, and he booked it for the door because he was so embarrassed. Okay? And then, this, is, this is what I love about this story here. There was an elderly gentleman in the back of the sanctuary who leaned into his friend and said this. If that young boy had come up the way he went down, he would have gone down the way he came up. If that boy had gone up the way he came, or the way he went down, he would have gone down the way he came up. Meaning that if this man would have approached this with humility, he wouldn't have done so badly. And he would have walked out proud knowing that he would have shared the gospel. Jesus approaches his disciples with such humility here. Okay? Again, nobody in their right mind in a place of authority would stoop so low as to touch someone else's feet. Yet Jesus does it because he loves them. And he approaches them with such amazing humility. How, can, how we approach things is so, so very important. Can you imagine what this world would be like if Jesus, the Son of God, was brash, arrogant, and prideful. I want to run through some of these, because this is a fun exercise here. Approaching blind beggars, he would say, I don't have time for you. Get out of my way. Feeding the 5,000, go book me a reservation. I'm hungry. Okay? Uh, eating with tax collectors, yes, why, why am I eating with people like you? Peter's sinking in the water, what's wrong with you, Peter? Have more faith. Lazarus, why would I waste my time with a dead man? Washing feet, I'm not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. That's what life would be like if Jesus wasn't humble. But he is, and he approaches people with humility. He hunkers down, and he gets to work. And he gets to work because he has put his head down, lived in humility, and he has served his people because he loves them. Mark 10.45 tells us, For even the Son of Man came not to, not to be served, but to serve. And he gave his life as a ransom for many. So in serving, looking towards this death that is about to come, okay, he, lays, he will lay his life down for his friends. So he approaches them in humility, but there's also this great level of love that we see here. Uh, look at verse 1. This is, we can almost skip past this if you're not, if you're not uh, careful. Uh, verse 1, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That is... Such beautiful language there. He loved them to the end. Knowing that his end was about to come, he loved them to the end. Now think about this. These guys were absolute knuckleheads. Like the disciples, they weren't this like pristine put together group of dudes. They, they were mean. They were selfish. They were arrogant. Uh, they often had trouble trusting and believing in God. They, they made him perform signs so that they could actually trust and believe in him. Two of them, I mean, this, this is, this is uh, immature, right? Two of them sent their mom to go talk to him and ask him if they could sit next to him in heaven. Like, they couldn't even ask him that themselves. But they sent their mom. Like, that's embarrassing, right? Don't send your mom to go talk to Jesus. Go talk to Jesus yourself. Uh, many of them were pessimists. One was a zealot who believed in forcefully converting people. One was a thief and would betray Jesus for money. One would flat out deny him. All except for John would run when he got arrested. And only one showed up for his crucifixion. The 
these guys were absolute knuckleheads. They were not faithful. In the end, they ended up being faithful because they were equipped and did this amazing work after he died. But in this moment, these guys, they weren't super trustworthy. Okay? They didn't have strong faith. But all that being said, even though they were slow to believe, they were unteachable, they were focused on the present, they were self-centered. There was also something else going on. Jesus chose these men. He loved them. He'd been with them for three years. He knows them better than they know themselves. He's seen them at their best, and he's seen them at their worst. And he's built this serious relational capital with them because he's invested in them. He's cared for them. And despite their issues, he's going to lay his life down for them because of that love. He loved them knowing that this love was going to cost his very life. So he cleans their feet. And we get to see the depth of Jesus' very heart here in this moment. As he loved them to the end, the custom was, as you go before the, the Passover meal, you would bathe yourself so that when you arrived, all you had to do was wash your feet. That was the only thing left. Okay? Uh, this humble action of Jesus, it's, it's this picture of what he's actually about to go do. It, it has more to do than just the washing of feet. As more to do with the washing of the heart, washing of the soul, redeeming people. And out of love, as he pours water into this bowl and washes dirty feet, in several hours he's going to pour out his blood for his people and wash them of their sins. See, all the disciples were probably equally shocked to see their teacher, their rabbi, stooping down in front of them to wash their feet. I would imagine that if you were flying the wall in this room, it would be utter silence, jaws would be dropped, and people will be like, why is he doing this? What is going on? And Peter, being the uh, impassionate man who often thinks before, uh, or acts before he thinks, uh, he, he steps in, in verse 6, he says, Lord, you wash my feet. But notice, again, in humility and in love, Jesus doesn't call him out and say, Peter, 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 why can't you just listen? Why can't you just understand? No, he leans in and says, says this, if I do not wash you, you do not have a share with me. See, in this moment, he's, he's trying to get Peter to understand. Like, unless I do this, you don't have a share with me. Unless I do this, you will not be truly clean. <coughs> That's love. He wants Peter to be clean. So at this point, Peter is right. All right, well, let's just do the premium package. Let's go, uh, let's go feet, hands, and head, right? Uh, but Jesus says, the one who has been bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And then he tells Peter, and you are clean. And the you here is actually plural. He's talking to his disciples saying, because I have done this for you, because I'm about to go and die for you, you are clean. But notice what he says right after that. Not all of you. And he's speaking of Judas. Okay? So what this means here, okay? is that this washing, this, this, uh, this payment for sins, this atonement, it's not applied to all of them. It's applied to all the ones that he loved, all the ones that he would die for. Judas is left out because Judas did not have true faith. Judas was just along for the ride. So in verse 12, when he had washed their feet and he had put on his outer garments and resumed his place, this isn't just a throwaway verse. This is actually something really, really cool here that we might miss. John 19.30, Jesus says, it is finished. He bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Mark notes that he breathed his last. When Jesus puts on that outer garment and tie, or takes off that towel around his waist and takes his 
his place back at the table, what that's actually showing us is that after Jesus brings this cleansing on the cross, he's returning to the Father to his right place. He's going to go sit at the right hand of the Father. He's returning where he belongs. He's taking his place. And that is because of his love. C.S. Lewis writes this uh, on love. To love at all is to be venerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your own selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, and motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable, the only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from the dangers of love is hell itself. The only place that we can be uh, perfectly safe from the dangers of love is hell itself. And that kind of love is, is what Jesus came to show his people. He's saying, I want you to know the love of the Father. So I'm going to wash your feet to show you that love. This love would keep them uh, from the only place that they can never experience love, hell. One that would bring them into a right relationship with love. This would, it would be a love that would never let them down, would never change, would never let them go. So I want to ask you this evening, is that the kind of love that you know in Jesus? Is that the kind of love that you know in him? If you struggle with that, struggling with trusting that he won't let you down, that he won't leave you, that his love... Uh, that his love may, may change. If you're fearful of that, can I comfort you with these, these ver- the words from verse 10? Okay? Look back at verse 10. And you are clean. You're clean. You don't have to worry whether that love applies to you. If you have the Holy Spirit in your heart and you're trusting in Jesus, there's no need to doubt. There's no need to fear because you are clean. And yes, right after this, he does say, but not every one of you, and if you're thinking to yourself in your struggle, well, what if that's me? Well, you're not Judas, okay? Uh, can I encourage you with that? Your name is not Judas, and, and Judas didn't lose the saving love of Jesus. He never had it in the first place. I tell people who often approach me and tell me that they're struggling with doubt and assurance that the fact that you're struggling with it and talking about it is a good sign. It truly is a good sign. Like, if you, if you struggle and doubt the love of God for you, start there. The fact that you're wrestling with it means that you care about it. People that don't have assurance, that don't care about their relationship with God, who don't want to be in relationship with God, are not going to talk about wrestling with it. Okay? Live in that moment and, and trust in Jesus, what he's done for you. He has made you clean because he loves you. He's approached you in humility to show you that love on the cross. Judas sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. He tried to make penance for this by returning the silver. And it does say that he was grieved and sorry, but the word that's used to describe that there is not one of repentance. It's one of simple, I got found out. I got busted. I feel bad for what happened. There's no repentance. It's only guilt on Jesus' part. And Jesus wants you to know that if you have breath in your lungs and you know what Jesus has come to do, he has washed you clean. Is that something you can live in? 
Is that the kind of love that you can trust? Is that the kind of love that you want to experience with your Savior? The humility and love of Jesus is for you because He loves you and He cares for you enough to come and die for you, for all of us. And that's a beautiful, wonderful thing that we get to celebrate each and every day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the way that you work through it and the way that you transform us by the grace of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for this wonderful picture of humility and love as you came and washed the disciples' feet to show them that you came to wash the sins away from the world. That is what we get to celebrate. That is what we get to sing about and we get to uh, pray about and, and talk about uh, in places like our youth. I just thank you for these students. I ask that you would work in their hearts, help them to see and taste and know the beauty of what you have done for them, Lord. Uh, because unless we keep our eyes fixed upon you, we will not see the beauty of the cross. So I pray for these students. I ask that you would work in them, sanctify them, grow them in their faith. And I just thank you for this opportunity to open your word this evening. We pray all this in Christ's name. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Texas A&M RUF podcast. If you're interested in joining us for a large group, we would love to see you at All Faiths Chapel on the north side of campus across from Sabisa at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays. Go ahead and follow at AggieRUF on Instagram for updates about any other events we're putting on. We hope to see you around. Thanks and gig'em.